Hello everyone, this is just a little message before the start of the show to say yes, we're back earlier than we first said we would be. That's because a lot of people pulled together to help with the Owen Robert Kelly's Doorstep project and the book and the film will be premiered, launched and released on November 1st, 2024. Now on with the show. sets the scene for the white and green fuck the SFA we still won the day still are the teams still are the teams still are the teams still are the teams Well, it's been a minute. Um, after that shit show again today, which has been, you know, pretty much par for the course, um, I get the sense now, finally, the fans are really starting to wake up to the absolute shambles at Celtic are. Um, I think there were signs at the EGM, you know, fans were aghast at a lot of things. And I was quite um, sort of bewildered how that was the information that the AGM was put out by, you know, Harry Brady, aka Brian Gilmer, who who made it sound like a fucking tea party, which it certainly was not. But then he's compromised, so um and that's the thing that now I believe that if you're genuinely still no seeing the problems at Celtic and where it all started and all that, then you're either compromised you know, try to protect a comfy seat or a cosy relationship or you're woefully blind or you're just fucking daft because there's no time to fucking beat about the bush and I'm going to go into why this started and why this happened and what began this with Ange Postecoglou leaving but let's go into that game right now I mean, that is as bad as anything I've seen at Celtic Park since the early 90s um, passive, lethargic, slow, no energy no creativity, no cutting edge, players gone through the motions. And I said this to people, after the St Johnston game when Rodgers had his rant, I was kind of like, that's fine, but what happens if we get beat again? 
What's he got? Where's he going to go then? And we did get beat again. We got beat at Kilmarnock, and now we've got beat again. So what? You know, what's the point, kind of thing? And when I seen the team before the game, I said to um, mates in WhatsApp group, I said that team looks lightweight to me. You know, Hertz are bringing players back. They've got a lot of physicality, and you know, you need to kind of stand up to that. And uh, when you when you're seeing people like Mikey Johnson, who I can only assume has blackmail photos of Brendan Rodgers. I mean, the guy has never ever, ever been good enough to play for Celtic. He's had the odd flash here and there, etc. But how many players have we seen like that that ultimately were utter pish? Um, defies belief that he's there. Palmer, doesn't date for me at all. You know, it's alright fanning about and this, that. You just get the ball doing and get it in the fucking box. And that's the thing I just didn't understand about the Celtic team at all. Why do we not put the ball in the box? Why do we have to fuck about side to side all the time and generally fuck about with possession, 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 but ultimately does nothing? Get the ball in the box. It's very simple. We have a problem. And it's right at the back. Joe Hart. I mean... A decent goalie. No way do you punch a ball out the way he did. That's uh, that's just uh, no, no, no. That, that that's not good enough. And if we're starting games with Mikey Johnson and Brendan Rodgers doesn't see it now that he's no good enough, then we're in a lot of trouble. We definitely need to play another goalie. Keep one of the reserves because Joe Hart's. No go to It's horrible to watch. Celtic playing bad, but I'll tell you what, this is starting to smell like the 10 in a row season. And that referee uh, was just... I can't believe some of the decisions he made. And the linesmen seem to be in cohorts with him as well, or cahoots with him. It's definitely no good stuff. I have a hard time, like, you know... Saying bad things about Sally after all the good things they've done, but something has to change. I don't know if they, they want to listen to Rogers. I, I don't. I can't figure it out that we can get so bad in the last four or five games. Yes, they played well against Feyenoord, but Feyenoord's not a good team. Feyenoord were a good team. They'd been further up that league. We definitely need to get rid of Hart. He has to go. Johnson has to go. If they're starters, we've got big problems. Greg Taylor, I don't know what the hell has happened to him. He didn't play bad last year. Like, you know, it was, I'm never a great lover of him. But he's far too small for left back. And teams are finding out. Pump the ball into the middle because Joe Hart's not coming off his line. I mean, the other week there... He's pushing players away. That's not his job to punch players or push players away that are standing on his road. That's up to his defenders to do that. He has to concentrate on that ball coming across and go out and do something. Every goalie you see will play the go out, they grab it, they land in the ground and they lie in the ground. He's punching it in fresh air as far as I'm concerned. That one today was just... As somebody that's played in goal, I, I, I'm telling you that, it was just pathetic. 
pathetic to watch and there's got to be some drastic changes or we're in a hell of a lot of trouble. So let's hope that the boys can pull it together and get something. But for God's sake, Brendan Rodgers, do not start Mikey Johnson. That is absolutely a no-no for me. Anyway, keep up the good work, Paul, and I'll talk to you soon. I mean, the first goal is embarrassing. It's pub-level defending. Um, to leave somebody like Lauren Shankland free in the box is just, you know, that's the guy's fucking talent, being in the box with the ball. So you're kind of like that, right, okay, here we go again. I thought, this fucking game's up already, like, you know. And then, of course, the second goal, which I didn't think was a free kick, but it's fucking telegraphed, it's Kingsley, he does it all the time, he puts it in the same spot all the time, fucking hearts floundering as usual, as he has been all season. And it ends up, you're two out doing it at half-time, and you're like, you know, there's no way I've seen... Yeah, it's fun. that my mate of mine, who's like, ah, oh, you could still come back. I said, we're not coming back here. Fucking no chance. I said, you never have to watch us play in the last two months. And, you know, you come out and huff and puff, but fuck all. You know, absolutely nothing. And um, when it gets to that stage, you're like, things have got to change. Because it's not, you know, there isn't a fucking big debate needed here. It's very simple. The players are not good enough. The players are not good, and we'll get into why later, but the players are not fucking good enough. It's as simple as that. Added to that, Joe Hart's done, right? Alistair Johnson's gone off the boil. The third man in midfield still hasn't been solved at all. It's, it's certainly no David Turnbull. Kyogo, his mind is elsewhere, and to me, he looks like he's fucking off in January. And, oh, big, strong, willing boy, but he's not the man to bring you into games when you're tuning out doing. Uh, and the man manager, talking about passive, the manager standing there passively on the fucking touchline all the time, looking about like what's going on. Again, I'll get into him in the next bit because he's as much to blame as anybody. And his tactics are woeful. His style of play is woeful. And he doesn't seem to have a fucking clue how to address it. You know, he's playing Mikey Johnson week in, week out. The guy's fucking torture. He thinks James Forrest can come on and save a game. It's, you know, it's no 20-fucking-17 anymore. And there's no plan B, which to me is, it's my, you know... Horses for courses, but that would require enthusiasm for the job, which he doesn't have. Well, what a fucking game that was to come back to you, boys and girls. Eh? Fuck me. We just weren't there. You, you could see we weren't there for the off. I mean, you looked at it, spoke about everybody says start well, whatever, go for it. No, first fucking ten minutes, usual passive, nothing happening, not the, the tap of the the pitch and then lo and behold a corner for and, and the, the one man the one man in their team who's going to fucking score a goal is free and they do your six yard line to put the one now up and then fucking hell the free kick again I mean we just keep going through the motions and losing the same shite of goals over and over and over again and, and, and this is against Stevie fucking Naismith's teams for fuck's sake man it, it's I mean, we're meant to have an elite manager and, and that's what we're up against. And then we go to half-time and we're still 2 out down and there's nothing in the second half. Absolutely fucking nothing. I mean, Paul, you said it before, you, you fear about the wheels coming off if things didn't go right the day. And 
by fuck man, the, the shit is really going to hit the fan. And the only positive for the day was it was good to see. In the absence of the Green Brigade, may I fucking add, uh, the Peter Lawwell and the board, uh, the, the fans let them know exactly who's at fault here. It's not the, the people in the park as much as they're trying or no trying or whatever. They're on the park and that's it. But it's the guys that put them there that's responsible for that today. And don't kid ourselves on. That's no, that's not been fucking out the blue that, that, that look at our performances lately in the league they have been abysmal fucking abysmal and f- what we've, we've done now is basically shoot ourselves in the foot I mean who who out there is confident that we're gonna go and win the league this year at this point in time because I'm fucking certainly not and we've imploded it's no a case of, all right, fair play to them at the other side of the city, do you know what I mean? They've done what they needed to do, but that shouldn't have mattered. Look at the fucking lead that we had and look what we've squandered and gave away to no disrespect to the teams that we have done. Jesus fucking Christ, at Celtic Park already this season, that's us, St Johnson and Motherwell and fucking Hearts of New Beaters. Jesus fuck, man, what is happening here? I'm, I'm, I don't know what else to say. I honestly don't. I mean, the split's there for, for all to see. And I seen the thing on, on Twitter the day that a divided house can't stand, and 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 that's what that's what we are right now. That's what we're fractioned all over the place. You've got the the eyes and nose in the green brigade. You've got the eyes and nose with the boards. You've got the eyes and nose with the players in the pitch. You've got the eyes and nose with the manager. There's nothing, there's no cohesion about us the new, and the only thing that can bring about this is what we all do and what we are trying to do with other things is change the man, the fan, me and you. And hopefully that was the start of the day with the, the, the anger getting directed at those responsible. So, fucking hell, I mean... And, and there, another thing, right? So here's the boy. You've probably all heard my thoughts in Lager Bielka at the the start of the season there here's a guy who scores in the winning goal for us in the, the, our first win to the Champions League in six years first win in ten years at home as we've heard for fucking oh god knows how long so and where is he today not even in the squad maybe I don't know I didn't see anything pre-match maybe I'm fucking missed it he's injured or something but no he's no Carter Vickers He's there, aye, again, but he's not exactly fucking set the heather on fire when he's come back with a bang, so... Uh, I fucking... I despair. I honestly despair the now. Um, so, on that note, anyway, I'm happy to get ready for my fucking Christmas night out and take the... what's coming to us and... Take it on the... Ch- no, no, don't even go down that road. Speak to Hi mate, hi, uh, I just got your message there, so I, uh, I'm night shift tonight, so I was coming back, obviously fucking depressed, raging, just about to get the heat done, and I thought, no, well, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on this, because I think it's quite important, as you and I have discussed probably even during the week and most of the season, this, the results like this are, are not becoming a surprise anymore, it's becoming like Mike Galloway era, it's becoming fucking Neil Lennon Covid season stuff uh, the difference is this time we're having to suffer actually going and watching it um, where do you start the day it's the whole thing there's no plan in place and I think this is that's a kind of major statement really uh, through the club 
right for boardroom level, there's no plan in place right through to the manager. Um, the substitutions today were fucking absolutely bizarre. Uh, the Palmer one, to take off Palmer and bring on Bernabe, we're 2-0 down with half an hour to go. It's beggar's belief, you're thinking that's a better option than attacking threat. And take, uh, uh, Dad didn't so injury with that one, like five, ten minutes later. He takes off Taylor and puts Forrest on. This exact opposite. Absolutely fucking mental. Um, so fucking lackluster, no tempo to the play at all. Uh, oh, fucking hell, man. One of the chances in the second, I was in the jocks team the other day, and one of the chances in the second half, it came to him, and it's like the proverbial just hit the, hitting the ball in the direction you're facing, and the ball came to him, and you know, if you're the, the cliche striker, I knows where the goal is. Fucking hell, man, he knew where the corner flag was. Just ridiculous. Like, he's not, he's not at the level for us. And folk can say and argue his case. We've had, as I said to you, like, we always have plenty of chats and stuff. And I've said to you, regarding Celtic, we've had umpteen strikers at his ilk over the years. Your fucking Bales and Clamalas and the like. And they're fucking good. They don't, they don't cut it. And he's, he's another one. Um... It's utterly worrying what's going on. Um, if we could just somehow stumble into January, um, and even be kind of neck neck, or I know that's just how bad it is. But actually, I think no, if we stumble into January neck neck, or even a couple of points behind, or maybe you know, we'd be happy with that. It's ridiculous. If we've been fucking seven points clear cruising, um, I just feel no, we're like the rots. Totally set, set in, and it's it's very hard to turn it back round when that happens. Uh, and I fear if they were to go in front, um, this team have got absolutely no guts or bottle. I don't think to turn it back round. And this gullibility, I think, and I'm guilty as well. I certainly was guilty in the summer. I don't know if I'm as guilty of it now, but we're so fucking gullible when it comes to Celtic and transfers. Like in the summer, I was honestly thinking. There's no way Rodgers would come back unless he was going to be absolutely guaranteed to be tooled up for, for a right good transfer window and it was fucking pathetic, one of the worst ones in our history. So again, I'm thinking this time round, right, aye, this is it, we'll, we'll go heavy this time and uh, that'll, you know, we'll turn it round like, by going heavy, we'll, we'll, we'll see us through and win the title, but actually I don't, I don't even know if it will happen. I'm actually not sure that will happen. Uh, I, I really don't know. It's, uh, I can see a Mayovsky coming in and maybe one other token gesture, fucking cheap, cheap option, and that they might think that will satisfy us. Uh, but no, mate, um, the atmosphere was totally toxic, which I predicted it would be after Kelly last week. I thought if things don't go well next week, <coughs> Celtic party in hearts is going to be utterly toxic, which is the worst of most toxic I've uh, actually probably felt in Celtic part for. I don't think it even exaggerates to say like fucking Dee Fergus McCann I don't think I felt as toxic as that before um, even starting now the stand up for the Green Brigade in the early in the game and it was still now each right through to sack the board and all will get the fuck it's uh, a big message sent to the board tonight and uh, well the act or well the, the usual usual contempt remains to be seen mate but Aye, uh, that's my thoughts, pal. Uh, I'll no doubt catch up tomorrow, mate. Cheers. Just a word or two um, about the passing of Shane McGowan. Um, 
I think it's important to recognise the, the cultural impact that Shane McGowan had, not just on music fans and um, Irish people in general, but in terms of providing and encouraging an identity that, you know, was very, very much suppressed when the Pogues um, started to become um, famous and successful. Um and he kind of was, was almost like a lone voice that gave a platform to the views and the culture and the identity that um, a lot of us growing up, um, you know, wanted to embrace but were kind of demonised and discriminated against, you know, constantly for that. Um, Shane kind of made you feel proud of it and the way he was able to express it with his talent um, was a huge influence on so many young people growing up at the time. Um, I was very fortunate to be in Ireland when his funeral took place and it was just so perfect, you know, the tone of it was perfect, um, the speakers were fantastic and um, the singing was just incredible. And you could tell that Ireland had lost uh, not just an icon, but an absolute power of its nation. So Shane, thank you for everything you've done and rest in power. Hi everybody, um, Thaylen Moran here in Dublin. Um, with just an introduction to the, the song for this week's pod. Thanks, Paul, for for the uh, the chance to to um, put the song out there on another platform. Uh, really honoured to do this. Um, so the song I've chosen, um, it's a song myself and Kira Moorfield uh, wrote uh, eight years ago. Uh, I wasn't long in Catalpa, and um, the summer of 2015, um, you may remember... James McLean was was playing with West Brom at the time, and they were playing a friendly in America. Um, and for some reason, the um, "God Save the Queen" was played at this friendly match. And ten of the team turned towards the Union Jack, and James McLean stood where he was. Um, and of course, that got reported that James McLean turned his back on the Union Jack, which he didn't. Um, he just refused to face it. Um, but why let the facts get in the way of a, a good story? Um, but that was, you know, so J James got more abuse again for um, for not facing the butcher's apron. Um, but all this poppy nonsense had started, I think, the year before when James uh, penned that very intelligent and concise and uh, passionate um, statement when he was playing for Wigan um, as to why he wouldn't wear a poppy on his football shirt. Um, given what had happened to his his dirty people uh, in 1972 on Bloody Sunday. Um, and again, you know, um, the, the, we all know the flack James has got ever since then and gets every November. Um, but when Nemanja Matic uh, gave his reasons for not wearing a poppy, uh, he was... He was understood, <laughs> where James McLean, as we know, just gets abuse up and down the UK. Um, so, cut a long story short... Um, in 2015, then not long after I joined Catalpa, um, and after this the uh, the friendly match nonsense and God save the Queen, uh, I got very angry. And we write songs when we get angry, um, 
and I, I decided um, I had the idea to write a song in defence of James McLean for his having the courage of, of his convictions um, to stand behind his people who were who were murdered by the the paratroopers in, in uh, Bloody Sunday in, in January 1972. So um, between myself and Kieran, as I say, we came up with the with the lyrics on the on the tune. Um, and we called the song No Poppy, No Anthem for a great Irishman, uh, a great person, an intelligent guy with, with strong beliefs, passion. Uh, mightn't be the most gifted footballer in the world, but you won't get any more committed player. Whether he plays for his club and especially his country, he won over 100 caps for Ireland and I'm delighted for him. Um, as I say, a great Irishman, but a, a great person. And um, he, we know he heard the song. He, we sent the song to James when he was on Twitter. And uh, we got the thumbs up off James. So um, it's called No Puppy, No Anthem. We had to change the words now when we sing it live um, because a certain person is in a box. Um, so, but you'll, you'll know which lyrics we had to change as you hear the song. Thanks, folks. No Puppy, No Anthem from Catalpa. Yes, events of that day. 
there's one thing I'm not proud of is missing an open goal at Celtic Park in a football aid charity match in 2013. It's so bad a miss that I had to clip that video and put it out on social media myself before someone else did it. You have to own these things. I was fortunate enough to play on the same park as two former Celtic players. And my team was Paul Byrne, probably just as famous for scoring against Rangers as he is for being pictured naked in the dressing room on social media after the earlier charity match that same day. And the opposite team, though, was George McCloskey, a man probably not famous enough for what he achieved in his career. George and his younger brother John were two products of Celtic Boys Club who managed to make it from there into the actual Celtic team. Indeed, John held the record as the youngest player to play for Celtic in a European match when he came off the bench away to Jeunesse Desch in 1977. That record stood until Karamoko Dembele came off the bench against CFR Cluj in 2019. Unfortunately for John, that would prove to be his one and only appearance as thrombosis brought an early end to his promising career. By the time of John's one and only appearance, older brother George was at the tail end of an 18-month spell of injuries that meant he never got to play alongside his brother for Celtic. George had made his debut, also in a European match against Valour, two years earlier, and by the beginning of the 1976-77 season, he'd made himself a first-team regular until the injuries struck. When he finally returned to action in February 1978, he did so fairly quietly, only scoring a hat-trick against the Dundee side managed by Tommy Gemmell. Unsurprisingly, after that kind of return, he was quickly established as a first-team regular once more. The following season, the 1978-79 season, is possibly one of the most famous in Celtic history. You only need to say, ten men won the league, and most Celtic fans of a certain age, and those who know their history too, of course, will know exactly what you mean. Earlier that season, George has scored crucial goals like in the 3-1 home win against Rangers in September 1978, but perhaps even more importantly, he got the only goal of the game against St Mirren in April 1979. Without that, the title decider wouldn't have been set up. Although it should be noted that the win by Rangers that came after that St Mirren game also played its part in setting up the more famous derby on the 21st of May. With Celtic a goal down in that match and a man down after Johnny Doyle sending off, things would have been looking bleak. But midway through the second half, Roy Aitken's equaliser gave Celtic a chance. Then, George McCoskey hooked in a second to give Celtic the lead. Of course, the drama wasn't over there as Rangers equalised, but once again, it was McCoskey who stepped up to give Celtic the lead. Albeit this time courtesy of a dangerous ball into the box, the Rangers goalkeeper Peter McCoy could only parry off Colin Jackson into the open goal. Murdo McLeod made sure of the result before the end, and so it was that ten men won the league. But those two goals in the middle really were the ones that made all the difference. However, those probably aren't the goals that George McCoskey is most famous for. That accolade has to go to the one that sparked an actual riot. The 1979-80 season had seen McCoskey become Celtic's main striker, albeit not for too long as he was joined by Frank McGarvey towards the end of the season. The two men played their part as Celtic reached the Scottish Cup final to take on Rangers. With Aberdeen as champions and Dundee United having won the League Cup earlier in the season, this was the only trophy that was going to remain in Glasgow. The game itself didn't really live up to much and after 90 minutes it was goalless. Even the first period of extra time was rather without incident but a couple of minutes into the second half of extra time that all changed as a Danny McGrain shot was redirected by McCluskey past McCoy who was once more in the Rangers goal. That goal was decisive and Celtic had won the Scottish Cup. Hardly George's fault for what happened next. As Celtic paraded the trophy, the Celtic fans climbed the perimeter fences to join in the celebrations. One Celtic fan decided to kick a ball into the net at the other end, which was still curiously occupied by the Rangers fans who hadn't left yet. How dare he? 
they climbed their fence to get at him and the rest of the Celtic fans on the pitch. Missiles were thrown, makeshift weapons were found, the police response was bizarrely inadequate and they, of course, blamed the Celtic fans for the whole thing, despite a report later noting that Celtic fans were initially there celebrating and enjoy. The real casualty of this whole affair, though, was alcohol. From that final onwards, the sale of alcohol at the game was banned. Unless, of course, you're in a suit. The following season, McCluskey found himself falling behind partner McGarvey and the young and upcoming Charlie Nicholas in the pecking order. Despite this, he still had double figures for the 1980-81 season and then in 1981-82 he had a career high of 25 goals for the season, although that was somewhat helped by the unfortunate leg breaks of both McGarvey and Nicholas. No doubt then that when called upon, George McCluskey could be relied upon. When McGarvey and Nicholas returned, Billy McNeil had a choice to make. Although he did try to play all three in the same team, it didn't really work out and it was a struggle to give them all the game time their abilities deserved. The 1982-83 season with McCluskey's last for Celtic, despite Nicholas moving on to Arsenal around the same time. And to be fair, even he went out with a bang scoring the tie-winning goal in Amsterdam against Ajax. Funnily enough, there was something of a riot by the Ajax fans after that game too. I wonder what it's like to score such offensive goals. After 78 goals for Celtic, George finally moved on to Leeds United where he stayed for three seasons before returning to Scotland to play for Hibernian and then Hammer to Nackies. But in 1992 he signed for Kamarwick under his former teammate and close friend Tommy Burns. There he helped secure the 1992-93 First Division title and took Kamarwick back to the top flight after a 10 year absence. That promotion was a huge part of what would later see Tommy Burns become Celtic manager. After a short spell at Clyde, George finally hung up the boots on his professional career in 1996. Thankfully for the Celtic stars of tomorrow, George can still be found working with the Celtic Youth Academy to this day. It's pretty cool to think I was able to share a pitch with George McCloskey, even if I clearly wasn't fit to lace his boots. I can, however, lay claim to having once beaten him to the byline to put in a decent cross, which is definitely as good as I'll ever be able to claim. Just don't tell anyone he was 55 years old at the time, but it sounds great. Fans demand answers, or I'm going to give you some now, uh, and I got this for an impeccable source, so I'm quite happy to say it, and they put fucking Neil McCullers to the mast here. So, I'll take you back to March. Ange Postacoglu had said to Nicholson and Lawwell that uh, he basically wanted a serious budget for an assault in Europe, and that was where the club had to go, which panicked them, because they'd earmarked money because they had to for Barrowfield, um, which is supposed to be starting in December. Answers on a postcard for that. Lennox Town, which is supposed to be starting next summer. And the boys' club thing, which they kicked down the road so much that they re- it just led back to their door. It just came round the block again. So Ange was basically told, no, sorry, it'll just be basically 15 million. To which Ange went, right, that's that. Instructed his agent, find me another club. And the agent obviously found him Tottenham. He had to lobby for the job, but ultimately he got it. Um, so then Lawwell saw his opportunity because let's... I mean, I'm assuming that you're no living in a dark room type person who thinks that Lawwell has any influence at the club and all that kind of... I mean, right, OK, I'm assuming you know that the man controls every fucking facet. And basically said, right, OK, this is our chance to get in a younger manager, a hungry manager, and basically someone that him and his boy could control. And Dermot Desmond said no Because this is the only time Dermot Desmond really gets involved When it comes to picking a manager And he said there has to be Brendan Rodgers again Now obviously Rodgers and Lowell had a massive fallout um, That's why Rodgers left in the first place um, So 
instead of being trying to fight Dermot Desmond when that what Lawwell and his boy did was went out and try to sign as many players as possible and bulk up the squad before Rodgers could even get there. So of course that's what they did. And when Rodgers came in, he didn't want to sort of be seen to be rocking the boat straight away, so he never questioned the sign-ins. But, and this is a big but, he was told that they had all been rubber-stamped by Ange Postacoglu, which they had not. None of them. That's very important. At that point, Rodgers, being his usual arrogant self, was like, well, how bad can it be? You know, I'm a great coach, I can make anybody a better player. I'll run with him to January. Well, we've seen how fucking that's went. Um, none of them are good enough. He hasn't made anybody a better player at Celtic. In fact, there's a few players you could argue are a lot worse. And so by about November, Rodgers, that's when he started signalling in the media that he wasn't happy and all that. He basically gave Celtic a list of 10 players to get rid of in January. Most Basically, most of the players that had come in, Kwon, Yang... Lagerbielka, Naroxi, David Turnbull, who by the way is on 18 grand a week and is desperate to leave. Fuck knows why, because he'll never get a game anywhere. Certainly on that money. Um, and Rogers being Rogers, thought he could manage it through January. Well, that's fell apart as well. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Rogers has to take as much blame because he knows what Lawwell's like. Then he's got his fucking boy in there who shouldn't be anywhere near the club. Right, you've got Dermot Desmond, the usual absentee landlord. Doesn't he go to an AGM? Has his boy there saying we're really committed to the club? Aye, well you're not committed to go to a fucking AGM though, is he? If you're that committed to the club, fucking upgrade the stadium which is falling apart. Fucking upgrade the team which is falling apart. Fucking get a dress in the academy which is an absolute fucking shambles. Then he hears fucking sound bites. He has action. And so Rogers now is in that position where. He's going to hang himself on two things. The first one was, I'll be here for three years regardless. The stupidity. The board, knowing what they're like, will have just said, fucking fantastic. We can do what we want to him. Second thing is, I'll see you back here in May. That's going to haunt him, right? Because let's be honest here, if we had a Ronnie Dyler type manager in here right now, the fans who are already being for blood would be tearing the fucking stadium apart. Out the first round of the League Cup, Another shit show in Europe and fucking now lost a, a really, really good lead in the, in the SPFL. That is not fucking good enough under any shape or form. And Rogers has to take his fucking fair share of the blame for that. It, it really is that simple. So now we find ourselves in a position where it's going to be panic in January. We need to lined up. Named you know. Because the bottom line in and all, bottom line in all this thing is, is Celtic's fucking inability to sign experienced players which we did under Ange Postacoglu and turned an absolute shit show into five trophies in two seasons now we've gone back to Neil Lennon in the last season signing a bunch of fucking shite and sitting there with your thumb up your ass not doing anything to address it while the fans have to watch this fucking circus fucking unfold and it's no good enough now you hear today if you were at the game or watched on TV, sack the board and Lawwell get to fuck. Fans have fucking finally snapped. They finally fucking realised that Lawwell is the cancer at that fucking club. He should not be anywhere near it. I could question him on a million things. A fucking million things, but here's one for you. Why is it that... Why did we sign James McCarthy, who was basically done, basically been injured the whole time, 
was get ready to be freed and suddenly Lowell's house gets firebombed and suddenly he gets a fucking extension of that and nothing's said. Nothing's said whatsoever. His agent is a fucking cunt. McCarthy is in there, was in there trying to get players for this fucking agent. And Lowell just lets all this fucking unfold. Why that man is still at this club is fucking beyond me, but it's the absolute reason why we are such a fucking mess. And didn't fucking delude yourself about us not being a mess. Forget about the stadium improvements that are needed. Forget about the recruitment shit show. What about the fact that the club took a pro-Israeli stance when they were murdering innocent people? What about the fact that they've banned their own supporters for the club? For what? Stuff that, I mean, really? Let me tell you something. If somebody started going watching football in the 70s and 80s, tons more went on then and go on now. But that's been used. And now Celtic Park's a fucking library. And the culmination of it was today against Hearts and that fucking shit show. You know what who is to blame for this, and it's time you fucking acted. Of all the matches that ever I seen, watching Celtics white and green, there is one game I love till I die. When Caesar held the big cup high. The Lisbon Lions, led by Jack Steen, on that May Day they stood so tall. Still are the Tims, raise a parting glass. Good night and joy be with you all.